Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. Um, well, thank you very much today to, uh, for joining us. We've uh, once again enjoying some of the technical issues with the wonderful internet we've got. I just want to double check that we're all working uh, and then we can proceed. Um, I hope you're all uh, enjoying your current situation as far as uh, managing through this particular challenge that we all have. And uh, I am just conscious of the fact that I know this is a very strange and interesting time. And, and for a lot of us, um, you know, we are in a position where we are dealing with day-to-day -day information and changes. Uh, and, you know, it is a very difficult, you know, situation to navigate. And I think we're very understanding and sympathetic of that. And really the purpose of today's um, presentation was to have a discussion around some of the scenarios that may occur in your practice and physically what you can do for them. So I'm just conscious of doing that. So um, I'll get this going for you in one nanosecond. So I think that the key um, is that uh, what we're focused really on is the scenarios that come before us. Now, the key thing here is, I need to be honest, is that there's a lot of information from different sources. So uh, I, well, we operate nine medical centers or skin cancer practices specifically. And like you, we're trying to disseminate the information from Medico Legal, the government, the state health authorities, and the other experts in being able to you know, manage through this particular challenge. So what we've done here is put together I suppose, what we've been able to disseminate and what we're doing in our practices. I mean, there is unfortunately no sort of blueprint, you know, obviously the RACGP, there's other sources of information which we've drawn upon, but I also just want to reflect upon the fact this stuff is changing daily. So what I'm going to do is give you the presentation based on um, what we're doing um, with relation to this and just go through that. So, I mean, I think the key thing we all know, there's a lot of confusion, particularly with our staff, but also with our doctors. I mean, interesting with us, you know, probably the doctors can be as confused as the staff. And what we want to do is navigate through what are the facts so that we understand what's going on. So, in the first instance, um, we're in a situation of, what we want to do is define what is close contact. So, because this is very, very important to determine whether we do or don't need to do something with relation to a, pa or a patient or a staff member or a doctor that's come in contact with somebody. We then obviously have to define what is casual contact. And then we're gonna go through some various scenarios and what actions we would take if they were to occur. So we'll just go through those. Now, basically close contact is this. So we're gonna be clear, clear about this. Someone is in close contact for spending greater than 15 minutes face-to-face -face contact in a setting uh, and with a confirmed case uh, within 24 hours. Now, close contact is like this. Close contact isn't sitting, obviously, necessarily next to somebody. Um, it's one of those things, as you know, the, the, the research, published research is changing uh, constantly. But effectively, what we're talking about is 15 minutes of close contact. This is why the government is, with some of the social isolation or distancing measures they're putting is closing or closing down certain businesses where people do spend a lot of time face to face. So nail technicians and nail salons spend a lot of time face to face with people, hence why the government doesn't want that to, to be going at the moment, as we're trying to stem obviously the spread of the virus. And the other option, the other way is it's sharing closed spaces for prolonged periods of time. So, you know, for example, the reason that not holding meetings in businesses is because obviously people spend a long period of time in a closed space. Um, but typically within our practices, you know, we're not spending two hours 
uh, you know, in a closed space with each other. Uh, we're coming in and out the rooms, the, the people are changing as part of that process. So that's what close contact is defined as, and that's from Avant, that's, it is the definition of close contact. And casual contact is everything else, right? So it's really only close contact that we need to be mindful of as what the implications it has for us. Now, we're gonna go through some different scenarios and basically talk about how they should be managed. Now, if a doctor or staff member has flu-like symptoms, so, I mean, the problem we're gonna have is people are going to feel unwell, right? If we're coming into the flu season or you know, the cold season, so people are gonna feel unwell. So if, if a doctor or staff member is feeling unwell, we basically reschedule their patients and we ask them not to attend the practice. So, yep, please stay at home until you get better. And what we know from uh, the virus is either people are going to go home and have their flu-like symptoms and then obviously going to get better or they're potentially going to get worse and that's at the point that we need to look at what other interventions we've got. And from the staff's perspective is we will basically ask them to take sick leave until the symptoms revolve. So, I mean, that's pretty simple to understand. So, not well, please stay away. Okay, patients who have flu-like symptoms who attended this, this centre, so these are patients that have turned up. Now, what we've been doing in our practices for over the last two or three weeks is temperature checking patients on arrival. Um, so I'm, once again, I live in Singapore and one of the things that I've learned is very quickly in the piece, they started temperature testing everybody that was walking the door. So one, a couple of things, one is to identify people that are obviously you know, running a fever, but secondarily, it also helps our other patients coming into the practice have the comfort that there are people, um, as I said, with fevers effectively within the clinic itself. We need to basically contact the patient in advance. So um, basically say, if you are not well, um, they shouldn't cancel, they shouldn't come into the practice at all. And obviously look to reschedule their appointment. So if someone says, uh, you know, I'm not feeling well, we basically look, can we reschedule your appointment into the future? So uh, it's an important thing to do to make sure that people who do have flu-like symptoms now, Obviously, as a general practice, that is very difficult because you're going to have people that present with flu-like symptoms. This is obviously some of the actions we're taking with relation to our, um, you know, our skin cancer practices. Now, when a staff member confirms an appointment and they find out the patient does have flu-like symptoms, so we are obviously ringing our patients in advance, we're basically rescheduling their appointment and ask when they're symptom-free. Now, scenario four is around that the staff member or doctor has come in contact with a positive patient or a patient visits a centre that's later diagnosed with COVID. So if obviously a doctor or staff comes in close, we'd obviously require them to, uh, and that's once again, close contact. To go back to that definition of close contact, would be required to isolate themselves. Um, we basically would get any of the admin staff that obviously were, you know, had come in contact. We could set them up to work from home. We'll talk about how you can do that in a moment. and give them road access because for most part, these people could still work if you needed the workforce. I mean, most practices don't have lots of people on call. So if you were to lose a percentage of your staff, um, they would be um, able to, uh, to attend. One of the other things that we've done in our practices is we've tried to group our um, staff, particularly in shifts. So in other words, you know, have a shift. So if there was a situation that we did have a positive, um, a positive situation, we would only knock out a percentage of our workforce, not the entire workforce as such. So we're not necessarily getting everyone to work across all five days. And the key thing is, is you need to follow the instructions of the local uh, Department of Health. So if um, 
if someone has tested positive, once again, there is very clear instructions on how this is to be managed and you just need to get in contact with them. And once again, as you know, these things are fluid. So that's why uh, you need to be in contact. Now, if the doctor's been diagnosed and has been at work in the past 14 days, basically we need to take these particular actions and I'll just pull them all up. So the first thing you do is you need to contact the Department of Health and follow their instructions. So I think that the key thing is we need to determine whether, uh, you know, what actions we need to take. Is it cleaning? Is it sterilising? Is it sufficient? Um, once again, what close contact has that doctor had with other workers? If they have been obviously in close contact with particular people, they might need to be required to self-isolate. And what we're trying to do here is, let's say for the example that the doctor obviously, you know, is not going to be able to come to work, um, is that we will um, be able to manage that a little bit later. So um, can we, so uh, just one second. Um, all right, sorry, okay. So the front desk obviously should reschedule these patients for 14 days. So typically if we've had a situation, uh, the doctor's been diagnosed. As you know, there's been some doctors that have come back from overseas holidays. For the most part, they would have probably gone through their self-isolation. So in those situations, we've had doctors come back. We've then obviously gone to um, uh, organise them to be in self-isolation and just reschedule their appointments into the future. Now, some practices that's easy to do, some practice that's hard. I mean, general practice, there's obviously people are presenting because they've got you know, concerns immediately. There are other patients which are you know, coming back for recalls or for other situations which you can obviously defer that. Now, if we have a situation where a staff member is tested positive, basically, once again, follow the same instructions. We then obviously need to look who they've been in close contact with, and the staff member will be going on sick leave for 14 days. So, you know, that is basically the steps that you need to take. Um, and we need to review, as I said, whether the staff member, I mean, that's it. as you know, 80% of the people that will get the COVID virus will have mild, um, you know, obviously a mild uh, impact of it. So they might be able to, once again, as they're inside self-isolation, still be able to provide you support in confirming a patient's recalls or other services. So we're set up so that if a, if a staff member wants to do that, we can provide them with a laptop and other resources. Okay, so let's say, for example, we then lose staff and we need to operate and reduce staff levels. So this is, um, we're talking about nursing. So in most practices, you've got receptionists and nurses. So we're just gonna talk about those two different situations. Um, so if we basically you know, are in a position, we lose our nurses, we obviously wanna keep uh, communicating with them. If, you, if you're in a practice where the nurses are doing or assisting in certain things, so let's say, for example, assisting in doing procedures or the like, um, what we can do is if we, firstly, we need to probably make sure the doctors are aware they need to be a little bit more self-sufficient. So where they maybe have needed the nurse or had a nurse, maybe it might be in a position where they uh, need to sort of help do that themselves. The other one is you can convert those sessions, obviously, to consult sessions. Um, and then try and catch it up in the future. So when we do have the nursing staff back, we can do that. It really is dependent per practice. It's such a hard thing to pick. Um, you may have um, some reserves on the bench. I mean, it's always nice to have, not that uh, most practices have that. I mean, we do as a resource, but as I said, to fill those gaps. And then if we're in a situation where we're losing staff, so we need to cooperate, you know, to operate and reduce staff levels. Um, if there's not enough reception staff, these are sort of actions, once again, we were taking. So I think 
there's certain roles that you know a reception staff member does that might be able to be taken home. So really, you know, once again, contacting patients the day before. I um, mean, look, practices can communicate with patients in different ways. There's obviously we can send them SMSs and saying, hey, if you've got these particular situations, please don't come in. Um, or once again, you could be doing it by the phone. So obviously phone-based work could be done uh, from home. We could also get nurses to try and cover. I mean, I suppose the challenge we have at the moment, you know, we're in a warlike environment where everyone needs to step up and help each other. So, you know, it might be the case that, you know, nurses do need to learn how to use your EMR software from a you know, practice management perspective. Uh, conversely, you may also need to get some of your reception staff to understand, you know, how to help set up trays or these sorts of things, depending on what's your situation. Uh, you might have some other staff you might be able to deploy. And you can also, you know, divert calls elsewhere. So there's different resources. Now, let's say the schools are closed. Now, as you're aware, the government is advising they don't want schools to close. And this is because, you know, what they're finding, obviously, as far as transmission is concerned, is that, or from once again, the available elements, you know, they're not the problem so much. It's more actually the younger adults, or so the you know, teenagers and, and then older, uh, younger adults that are probably more the issue. So, um, there's resistance, but as we know, most schools are being shut or having holidays being brought forward or the like. Uh, I know my kids' school is all now 100% online as of today. So the problem is for us is if the school's shut, you know, percentage of our workforce have kids. So, you know, the key thing is, well, if we did lose them, could we once again be in a position that we um, operate with limited staff, give them deployed resources to be able to access remotely? I mean, most um, companies, you know, IT companies will be able to support you with that. The other thing that we've looked at is obviously creating a crash. So if it was a situation where the schools were shut and we really did need to, to help out, could we once again find somebody who's got a blue card who could look after the children? I mean, once again, not ideal, but it's something we have to do in these sort of strange and interesting times. The other thing obviously to note, sorry, just with relation to schools is that all of the advice we've seen and, and what's coming out obviously state by state is that they will still provide at the school level childcare for healthcare workers. So it shouldn't really be a problem you have to deal with. Um, but you know, we have to just look at obviously all of these different um, options or scenarios. So um, one of the things we've seen in some countries is you know, patients over the age of 70 being required to self-isolate. Um, this is obviously a high-risk population. Uh, I mean, we're hoping we won't see that in Australia. We've obviously seen it elsewhere. Um, but look, I think the key thing is this, is that if it is the case, if it's obviously an appointment that could be delayed, um, that we said they're just in our appointment book for a regular follow-up or otherwise, we'll just need to divert and obviously um, delay that until they can come back in. And the other one is, is that um, if you do have those gaps created, there are probably other patients who may be in your system once again for follow-up or other routine examinations that might be able to be brought forward um, to help fill those gaps. I mean. It's sort of interesting for me at the moment talking to a lot of practice owners. I mean, I would have expected the practices would be very, very busy at this time. I mean, a lot of practices are sort of sharing with me. They're actually not as busy as they had been previously. So a lot of patients are considering to stay away, which is obviously is a bit of a concern. Now, you know, one of the things that we are seeing, definitely in our practice, we're seeing patients cancel because they're concerned about obviously the virus. I mean, there's probably a couple of things in here. One is I'm concerned about coming to the clinic and I might you know, get an infection. The other one is that obviously I've lost my job. I mean, there's, you know, once again, there's a lot of uh, chaos, a lot of people that have uh, very quickly, abruptly had their world changed. 
So what we've done is we've developed a new script. So to let the patient know, so if a patient rings up and says, look, I want to cancel my appointment, the first thing we're doing is reassuring them that we are a safe place to come, okay? We've got certain measures in place. So in our practice, we've got temperature testing, you know, obviously hand sanitizer, the social distancing, so the waiting room chairs are spread apart. Uh, one of the other things we're doing is if patients want to wait in their car and we can contact them when they need to come in rather than sitting in the waiting room. Um, you know, so there's measures that we can put in place to say, look, we are a safe place to come. And there is going to be concerns in the population because they're, you know, they're scared and confused as to, you know, what is a safe place or not. And one of the challenges of medical practice is we do have sick people come in the door and, and people are going to be concerned that I'm coming into a environment where I might get infected because I'm there. But if you can make it very clear that we've got all these protection measures in place, you know, once again, you and your staff are safe. In our practices also, we've set up a roster where every hour we are cleaning every common surface. So counters, door handles, you know, door jabs and frames, all of those surfaces. So if we can, you know, give the patients the comfort that we are doing everything that's humanly possible, uh, maybe that will give them the comfort because we don't want them to cancel their appointments if they really need to. So the other thing that we're doing as a business as well is tracking the cancellation rate. So for us, you know, we want to be in a position where uh, we've got the, you know, the, the, we know how many patients are cancelling. So, for example, in our practices, we had a level of cancellations last week. We had a spike on Monday. It's now dropping back off. But the fact is, there are patients that are cancelling who are normally in there, and we, we're tracking it because we need to understand what's the human resource requirement we're going to need next week or the week after, based on what's going on. Now. You know, we don't know what's going to happen next if the government is going to lock society down further. I mean, that is a potential risk. But the fact is your practice will always be open. The problem we've got is are patients going to want to come into the, you know, the clinical centre? And I think we need to do everything we can to reassure them. Now, of course, we see that there's a cancellation of patients and suddenly we've got, you know, people standing around with nothing to do. We might need to reduce the availability. Now, you once again, different practices are different. So, you know, if we're, if we're a skin cancer practice, if we lost 20% of our patients, then we would probably look to operate four days a week as opposed to five. Um, you know, in a general practice, that's obviously a very different situation, um, but we are just conscious of, we're still trying to manage a business, right? I mean, ultimately, you know, if we have a fall in income, but we don't change our expense bases, then our business is going to be put at risk and we don't want to do that, right? Now. Hopefully, this is a short-term situation, right? I mean, you could think, obviously, the Prime Minister is telling us it could be up to six months. I mean, you know, if you look at the available evidence, it's probably more like 12 weeks, 13 weeks, but it's going to be highly disruptive in the short term. And it's like, as any business, you need to manage your cost base and what's going on, because, as I said, otherwise, you know, for some businesses, you know, you could be in trouble. The other thing that we're doing is, that is um, you know, we can look at tele... I mean, probably the, the point here is around telemedicine. We're, we're conscious of the fact that we will soon be able to offer telemedicine services to our patients. So if I am cancelling, so Mrs. Jones is very sorry to want to come in, could we offer you as a teleconsultation as an alternative? Um, now, we're organising to put together a webinar specifically on this, which will walk through, once again, a, you know, a model of what you know, how we're going to be managing and deploying it. There's plenty of other providers of this information. It's obviously great that we're now getting you know, telehealth uh, item numbers from the government. I think you know we've got the genie coming out of the bottle. It'll be very hard to push it back. 
And maybe once again, this is, you know, maybe one of the good out of this particular situation is that whole integration and being able to have uh, a relationship with our patients, you know, via telemedicine, you know, will become, you know, one of those standards. So, you know, if patients don't want to come in, we can provide a solution to them. And I think that, as I said, we've, we've got patients um, and they can't get them in, we can bring their appointment forward. So as we're seeing patients cancel, we're bringing patients that are booked in further forward. And the other thing really is here is um, educating the staff around reducing anxiety. So we've done, we've tried to do the best we can, bear in mind we're all trying to move very quickly, is, you know, creating the scripts, you know, once again, sitting down and talking with them, and, you know, because part of it is if our staff feel comfortable and in control, then that will come across on the phone, which will give then patients comfort as to exactly what is going on. Okay. Now, one of the things we've got, as we know, is there's a large number of people that suddenly have no income other than the new start allowance. So, you know, thankfully the government's made that easy to access, but the fact is there's a lot of people who've gone from whatever dollars they were on down to, you know, $550 a week. So, I mean, our practices are private billing practices. I mean, we, we, um, we do a little bit of, you know, fixed billing, but um, we're just conscious of what do we do if patients say, look, I want to come in, but I've got basically no money. I mean, the key thing probably here is to negotiate with your doctors of can we be flexible at this time? So I suppose what we're doing is we're not putting a sign on the front door saying we're now holding the clinic. What we're going to do is say that if a patient brings up and says, look, I, you know, I'd like to come in, but I basically don't have any money, you know, we could look and say, well, on this occasion, we can bulk with you. And hopefully, once again, still keep patients in our system and keep our business going forward. Um, but, you know, in the short term, obviously, having to take the bulk bill fee. Now, probably the most drastic measure would be, obviously, the countries put in lockdown. Now, we will never be required to close our centre. I think what the issue here is, um, look, we may. I mean, it's not completely unreasonable, but I think, you know, you know, the practices would be the last thing on the planet that would be shut. So. Um, all of the instructions are that we'll, you know, we, we need to stay open, we will remain to stay open. I mean, if you look at the businesses that the government has currently, or facilities the government has shut down, it is basically places where people congregate in large numbers in close proximity. That's what it is. You know, it's one of those things is that um, certain businesses, but I'm just conscious of the fact that it's a combination of what the government's doing, but then also what the media is telling people. So. You know, everyone's in, you know, what's an essential service? There's no definition of essential service. There are facilities which the government doesn't think should operate. And I am just conscious of the fact that um, a lot of this is the psychology of our patients and information they're being fed, whether it's through the mainstream media, but particularly social media, which is obviously having a, a, a large impact on the psychology of our patients. Now, you know, if we had to lock down in that situation and we couldn't operate for whatever reason or in a very limited capacity, uh, we can get our practice managers to work from home. We could promote access and obviously divert the numbers. And we could then work with the doctors to say, right, well, we can reopen or get back to business as usual. Can we do some additional hours or sessions? Because I'm looking at this, of course, from a business perspective, is that we could probably take a hit on income for a short period of time. But, you know, can we try and make up those dollars later? I mean, one of the challenges we're going to have is, you know, uh, if we did have, like, reduced you know, income, other landlords going to, you know, help manage our wages or, sorry, our, our rent bills. Um, and, you know, so these sort of considerations. So I suppose I'm just conscious of, can we defer some of this work to later so that we can maybe pick up the income? Now, 
most doctors, as you know, are subcontractors. So if for some reason they're not able to work or not work at their capacity, you know, they're probably going to be interested in trying to pick that up later um, as far as uh, income is concerned. And, you know, once again, we can obviously contact our patients and reschedule them. If there was that situation, I'm just conscious of what we want to do is try and defer them a little bit later and try and, as I said, pick that up later. Okay. That's the sort of the run through of scenarios. I mean, there are many others, um, but they're sort of the most common ones that we've looked at, spoken to the relevant authorities and come up with some solutions to that at this point in time. Now, if you do have any further questions, you are more than welcome to submit them to myself. Um, I think also that if you have other questions related to um, uh, you know, any other areas of business, I will tell you about what we're going to be doing next at the moment as far as the next presentation. I am conscious of the fact that this is a very challenging time for uh, all of us and that we are in a position where we need to be taking action very quickly. So we've organised every Monday for Professor David Wilkinson to do a, an update on what's going on with the virus and what the government's doing and what measures and what we can see on the horizon. So I definitely would encourage you to, to uh, see that. That's at 7, 7 o'clock Eastern time on uh, Mondays and the recording will be made available of it. And then every week I'm going to be having something that's business related um, to help you know, push that process forward. Um, next Thursday, uh, I'm very happy to let you know, we've got a gentleman by the name of Alan Miltz. Now, Alan Miltz is the global guru on managing cash flow. He's a uh, uh, you know, world leader, uh, happened to be an Australian, actually a South African that lives in Australia for the last 20 years. Um, he's got an extraordinary presentation on how to manage in cash flow in a time of crisis. So if you do see your income drop and then you're trying to manage cash flow, it can be quite difficult. And for a lot of us, you know, I'm certainly no financial whiz every, you know, I look at Excel spreadsheets and they put me to sleep. But he's got this fantastic tool. Uh, it's a web-based software. You can put in six numbers and it will project your cash flow out. So he's going to be doing a presentation this time next week, um, which is basically talking about how you manage your business when cash does get tight, and then also how to use the tool so you can use it for your practice going forward. Excellent. So I'm just going to see if there's um, uh, any other information. Look, I, I think that, uh, you know, once again, you know, we're very conscious of the fact that this is very, very challenging for all of us. So, you know, we're here to support you. I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, please be aware of that. You're more than welcome to contact me later um, so that we can, uh, once again, share this. The video or the, this recording will be shared back with you so you can share it with your staff and your colleagues. Uh, we actually also have a, a document which actually puts all the full words out. Basically, it was the situation, the impact on the practice, and the actions we would take. If I was to put that on a screen, it would be too hard to read. Hence why I sort of gave you the abridged version. So we will share that with you later. Um, but as I said, you know, these are challenging times, but we're in this together. And I know that if we help support each other through it, um, you know, we'll get through this. So once again, you know, stay positive, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you next week.